Welcome to the RYR Endurance Team Podcast. We are grateful that you've chosen to tune in and listen. If you are a runner, aspiring runner, triathlete, or aspiring triathlete, you are in the right place. We love sharing what we know about these sports. If you like what you hear, you can always learn more by contacting us at ryrcoach at gmail.com or by visiting our website, ryrenduranceteam.com. Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening. Good evening, Coach Paula. Hello, Mr. Superhero Incredibles Dad. I do have an incredible shirt on, don't I? You do. That's supposed to be for our Disney trip. It is a red t-shirt with the incredible logo on it. Yeah. So it's an incredible shirt. What inspired you to get out the Disney attire today? I saw it in the closet, and I knew that our opportunity to wear it in the Superhero 5K had passed, and I thought, I'm going to wear it today. Okay. After I wash it, I'm going to hide it from you, so it'll be nice and matchy of all of our shirts when we do our family events. (laughs) Okay. So tell me about your training. How has your week been? Well, it's been an interesting week. First of all, I am officially in the Jack and Jill Marathon. I started, I registered on May 18th on a wait list, and there were... 50 entries ahead of me. So every day I would go in and check and see if I had made any progress on the waiting list. And every day I was moving up in line by a couple of slots, except for holidays and weekends. It seemed nothing was happening. But I wanted to keep checking because I didn't know if I would get an email notification or how it would work if I made it to the front of the line. Did you get an email? I did not. But I looked on the website, and it said one entry available you have until June 10th to claim the entry. Which wasn't very much time. Yeah, so I claimed it right then and there. That's probably how the line was moving so fast. People didn't know they had made it up to the top of the line and got bumped off. What do you think? Probably because my assumption was to just check my email to see if I got an email. But when I went back and checked the website... And I noticed that I could track my progression in the line. I suddenly became interested and it became a daily task. And sometimes more than one time per day, I would check. It was pretty exciting to see the number coming down. It was. And so yesterday, I just wanted to go check the website, but there wasn't anything to check. It's like I've already developed a habit starting May 18th. So that just tells you, it doesn't take that long to form a habit. Now I have to find something else to fill my life. (laughs) Well, you've gotten me started on Wordle. I guess I did do that, didn't I? Mm Mm-hmm. But it doesn't take much time. It takes you a lot longer than it takes me. I just, if I think of a word, I enter it. And I feel like you're like strategizing now. Here are the three words that would work. And this one's probably not politically correct. So I'm not going to use this one. And I'm just like, oh, there's a word that works. (laughs) Okay. You don't feel like you put more thought into it. I do put thought into it. Yeah. I was really surprised I stumbled upon the word in three guesses today. Because that's not a word I ever think about or use. 
I don't even remember what the word was. Well, and I guess since people are listening to this on a different day and it's in the rears, I can say what the word is. I suppose so. It was piety. Not a word we use often. Never. (laughs) I've used the word pious before. And pie. (laughs) Speaking of pie, I didn't think I had any random news nuggets to share, but I actually do since you mentioned pie. Google announced that... Wait, wait, wait. Let me be clear. I was talking about the peanut butter pie variety, but you're talking about the ratio of the circumference to the diameter pie. Exactly. Okay. Carry on. An employee, a developer at Google, has calculated pie to 100 trillion decimal places. And it took 157 days for the Google computer systems to reach that number of digits. That's a lot of digits. The previous record was around 87 trillion. Yeah, I mean, I thought I was doing pretty well in that I can name like nine digits past the decimal point. That is impressive. 3.14159265. Dot, 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 dot. And according to the article, if you were to try to read off all the digits, it would take like 3.7 million years to do. I guess I'd still be going. Still be going. So my training this week, well, did we talk about your training? We didn't talk about your training. You got sidetracked with Jack and Jill. We did not. Yes. I mean, I felt a little bit more motivated this week training because I've been doing the marathon block training because we have friends who are in the Jack and Jill and it was just more motivating for me to have somebody to run with so I have done her training with her but this week when my 50 people ahead of me became 12 people ahead of me and it's you know it's gone down gradually to get there I thought you know what if since May 18th I've moved from 51st in line to 13th in line I'm gonna get in this race like I need to get my head around actually training so I got my head more into it and I only had two key workouts sometimes we arrange three key workouts but this week I had two key workouts or I'm gonna have two I've completed one which was a tempo run at half marathon pace And I felt so much better this week than I did the last time. Even though the tempo distance was longer, I had more energy at the end. And then tomorrow is the one mile up the hill, one mile down the hill repeats times seven with a mile cool down. So that sounds like a lot of fun. I wish I could do it with you. Well, there are lots of bicycles in the garage. (laughs) And I may take one of them out for a bike ride tomorrow. Yeah, well, if you get out for a bike ride and you decide to navigate toward Huck's Hill and say hello, that's fine. If not, it's really not on your bike route in any way. I don't want you to get hurt, that's for sure. But Suzanne said that Lee might join us for a few repetitions before he has to go to work. And today when I was running with Kelly, she said she might join us for a couple of repetitions. And then our other Kelly friend who has just gotten back into running text and said she would do at least one and maybe two with us. Very nice. Yeah. So we 
we'll have some company. I mean, we'll have each other as company the whole way. But, you know, when you train together every day, sometimes you run out of things to talk about, especially when you're an introvert. I never run out of things to talk about with the Kellys because I can do a lot of listening if I can't think of anything to talk about. Because they talk a lot? Yeah, I mean, they have... They have a lot to talk about. Yeah. I mean, some people are just more verbal than others, and those people are truly appreciated on a long run, especially. Always entertaining. Yeah. So, I'm only getting in about 47 miles this week, and I would like to get in around 55 a couple of weeks, but we'll just see how it goes. Running healthy. Hamstring still feels amazing from my online free physical therapy sessions. So Praise the Lord. Kicking along. That's good news. So that's my training. So I've been continuing to do swimming and cycling and walking and strength training, physical therapy, and just a little bit of running. But today I progressed to a full... 10-minute run with no walking. Well, I didn't see you limping around today, so it must have gone okay. It went pretty good. I was a little apprehensive because my foot injury was bothering me a little bit yesterday, but it did good during the run, and it's been good since, so I'm encouraged. So I've been thinking about signing up for an Olympic distance triathlon next month, but I'm not sure that I will be ready or a 10k and I realized that they offer an aqua bike so I feel like if I sign up for this triathlon I've got a backup plan and they're priced the same so I don't think they would have any issue changing from one event to the other but I've never done an aqua bike it seems intriguing it's a different twist on things because there's no reason to hold back on the bike just get after it it's like a time trial get after it so hard that when you step off the bike you can't move i've been there done that on my half iron distance relay where i was solely the bike leg and then when i got off i had no legs <laughs> oh it was fast fun so why don't you just sign up for the aqua bike yeah, maybe I should, just so that I don't, just so that I'm not tempted to run more than I'm ready for. That would be my vote. All right, I'll take care of it. So, in today's podcast, I'd like to talk about triathlon transitions. We've got some athletes who have experience with triathlon. We've got some that are pretty new, and some that may be doing their very first. And so, the full spectrum. But transitions are like the fourth discipline in triathlon. And it's important to practice your transitions just like it is practice your swim, bike, and run. So I've got a whole lot of notes on triathlon transitions I would like to discuss with you today. I could use a refresher course. All right. So I wanted to start off with just getting ready for the race. And it's important to know the rules because the rules can vary from race to race in some races you put your transition gear in a bag in a certain area some triathlons you put your gear along with your bicycle so understand what the case is for your competition and then it's important to know the course 
Knowing the course can help you decide what type of bike you're going to ride if you have options, what type of wheels you're going to put on your bike, what type of tires you're going to put on your bike, how much air pressure you're going to put in your tires, depending on the road surface. But know the course, know the swim conditions, even to the point where you have an idea where the sun is going to be in the sky when you are swimming. So know the course. Run course. Some of the key things to know about it are where are the aid stations, if there are any, and what they're providing, and the elevation gain or loss. And it's important to know as you're getting real close to the event what the weather forecast looks like, what the water temperature might be, and what the water conditions might be as far as debris in the water or seaweed in the water or a current or waves, you know, whatever the different aspects of the body of water could be. And certainly there's differences in fresh water and salt water that you need to be aware of as well. So then thinking about preparing for the triathlon, let's say the day of or the day before, or as you're planning and focusing on the swim aspect of the competition. One of the things that you and I have done in the past is not to wear a watch on the swim so that we could have our watch mounted on the bike. Now, if you have a bike computer, then you have other options you could consider. But there's not a whole lot that your watch is going to do for you in an open water swim other than capture your data. Yeah, my favorite thing to do is have two watches, which I do have two watches. And when I didn't have two watches, I would borrow your watch. But I would have a watch on my arm, and I probably didn't even start it for the swim because, again, you can't monitor what you're doing, but it can capture data if that's important to you. But I never had to fool with taking my watch from my bike to my wrist. This seems like you had some little snazzy contraption where you could pop the face of the watch off of your bike onto your wrist. Yeah, I don't remember the model number of that Garmin Forerunner. I don't don't remember, but yes, you could twist the face of the watch and it would release from the band that was on my arm. And I had a similar mount on the bike where I could snap it in. But... For the most part, I did the same thing that you're talking about. I would have my watch on my arm for the duration just so that I would have it on the run. And then I would have your watch set up on the bike so that I wouldn't have to waste time messing with the watch. But I certainly wanted to have data on the bike and on the run. So figure out what you're going to do with your watch or watches or bike computer. You want yeah, to make- the other thing about you using my watch is we were researching some of my data, my historical data in Training Peaks a couple of nights ago. And you were like, well, you're Ironman in 2014. I was like, "Uh, my first Ironman was in 2017. And you're like, oh, yeah, I was using your watch. Yeah. So I may need to delete some data or figure out how to transfer it to your Training Peaks. I think I can take care of that. I'm leaving it up to you. So something else to be sure of on race morning is make sure you have your timing chip. And we like to suggest putting a safety pin 
on the chip so that the Velcro doesn't come loose. Yeah, some of those, it's a little ankle wrap usually that you utilize and some of them look like they've been around hundreds of ankles and it looks like the Velcro is not going to hold. Yeah, I remember in my first Ironman event, I did not have a safety pin and I just kept thinking the whole time I was swimming, which was around an hour, I kept thinking that the timing chip was coming loose on my ankle and was I was going to lose it in the water, but I never stopped. I just kept going. And when I I got out, it was just as secure as it was when I put it on, but it just didn't feel right. So it's just a distraction you don't need. Yeah. So make sure it's secure and you don't want it cutting off the blood or anything, but you may want to consider a safety pin. And then you want to make sure you have your swim cap. If you're wearing a heart rate strap, you probably want to put it on before the swim just so that you don't have any extra time wasted in T1 putting that on, especially if you have a one-piece tri-suit. And even if you don't capture any heart rate data on the swim, you're going to buy yourself some time in transition. Although, I don't think this happened in any competitions, but I'm pretty sure in some open water practice swims, the heart rate strap slid down to my belly button while I was swimming. So I had to tighten it up next time. It's still easier to slip it back up in your chest area than to put it on in T1. Yeah, yeah. And of course you need your goggles, and we would recommend having an extra pair of goggles just in case you lose one or a strap breaks, which has happened before. Seems like I tied a knot to fix your goggles as you were getting in. For Iron Man Louisville. <laughs> Saved the day. <laughs> you were like, oh. it, it wasn't Iron Man Louisville, but it was in Louisville. It was a different event. Okay. It was definitely the Ohio River, but it was. I think we learned then we should probably have backup goggles rather than me rigging. Improvising. <laughs> rigging the goggles. And some people prefer to swim with earplugs or like nose clips or something. I wouldn't recommend a nose clip, but... Um, you want to have everything with you and plan the night before so that race morning goes really smooth. If you're wearing a swim skin or a wetsuit, you need to make that decision. And if you are going to wear either of those, you probably want to put some body glide or some Vaseline in, you know, some sensitive areas like under the arms or maybe around the collar of the neck. Because you want to avoid any irritations that are going to distract you throughout the rest of the event. So if you wear a wetsuit, you're going to remember to take that off before you get on the bike. But I know somebody who may or may not have on more than one occasion not removed their swim skin before they got on the bike. That would be me. (laughs) Yeah, in, in my first Ironman event, I, well... In a sprint triathlon, I ended up wearing the swim skin around my waist for the entire bike ride. And then in my first Ironman event, I was getting ready to do the same thing. But as I was running out of transition, somebody got my attention and I stopped and pulled it off and threw it to one of our nephews who was cheering in the crowd. (laughs) So yes, if you're going to wear a swim skin, be sure to take it off. All right, so preparing for the bike, 
we already talked about the watch or the bike computer, but it's important to set up the data fields to what's going to give you the most meaningful data on race day, which is probably what you're going to be using in practice as well. But some of the display fields that I like to see, 10 second power or 30 second power, because instantaneous power is just too jumpy and unreliable. And you can use that on the bike to gauge your effort. And then I also like to track lap normalized power and then I auto lap every 10 miles if it's a half or a full. So I, I get a, a sense as to what I'm averaging over a shorter period of time. And you, you don't wanna try to make up ground in your second lap or your third lap if you're behind. You wanna try to hit your target in the lap you're in. Kind of like the book that Ryan Hall put out, Run the Mile You're In. Well, same thing here. Focus on hitting your target normalized power in the lap you're in. And then it's also important to monitor your, your cadence and your speed and your heart rate. Now you might think, well, why do I need to monitor my speed? You'll want to monitor your speed because at some point when you're going really fast, pushing power is going to give you a really small return on your investment. So if you get up around 26 miles an hour, it takes a lot of watts to increase your speed any further. So you may want to use that opportunity to get really arrow and rest the legs just a little bit. So it's important to watch your speed as well. And then heart rate so that you can monitor your heart rate and not go above your target range. Because if you go above your target heart rate range or your target normalized power, then you risk compromising your upcoming run. So those are some of the data fields that I like. Are there any data fields that you have found that you prefer? I mean, it's really depended over the years. When I did not have power measurement on capabilities on my bike, my two main fields were heart rate and cadence because I knew based on all my training and threshold tests and all the things, I knew where I needed to keep my heart rate and I knew what my ideal cadence was for that long of a distance and to prepare for a marathon. So if my heart rate was not high enough at my preferred cadence, I would go to a harder gear. And if my heart rate was too high, I would go to a lower gear. So really, to me, the heart rate, I'm one of these old school people that likes heart rate because I feel like it reflects the conditions of the course that day. You know, the heat and the humidity and just the body stress and different things. That's why I think even if you know your power number and what your target power is, that it's important to see that heart rate data too because there are factors that can really influence how much power you can push. So yeah, I'm, I'm old school. I do, I do like power and I like people to know that under ideal conditions here's the average power you should be able to push over the course of the distance and still be ready for the run but I like that heart rate data. And hopefully you're doing your simulations and time trials to calculate your target power in weather comparable 
to what you'll experience on race day. Yeah, I mean, that's ideal, but it just doesn't always happen. It does not always happen. So you were talking about monitoring your heart rate. I think it's important to use your technology and set alerts on your bike computer or your watch to give you some feedback. Uh, Some of the alerts that I would recommend are max cadence or min cadence and then maximum power. And basically the alert's going to flash or beep and let you know that you've exceeded your... You're getting ahead of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Because you don't want to have too high of a cadence. You don't want to have too low of a cadence. You want just right. And the same thing with your power. And then I like to set an alarm to remind me when I'm supposed to take my nutrition, which would either be time-based, typically time-based, but it could also be distance-based. And then when you're in transition area, preparing for the race, you've got your watch all configured. It's a good idea to go ahead and turn it on, assuming you have sufficient battery life, which some watches do not have a very long battery life but you'll want to make sure it's fully charged and have it ready to go when you hit transition and then as far as tire pressure goes there's a lot of debate on what the proper tire pressure should be and we did a blog post several months ago sometime last year talking about rolling resistance and air pressure aerodynamics but uh, some of the factors that'll have an impact on your air pressure would be the road services, your weight, what the anticipated temperature is. Oftentimes in an Ironman event where you're required to put your bike into transition the night before, there will be flat tires the next morning or when swimmers come out of the water and go into T1, they'll notice that they have flat tires. But the air pressure is going to increase as the temperature increases. And so when you are airing up your tires in the morning of the race, yeah, you want to leave a little bit of room for the air pressure to increase as the temperature rises. And a lot of people think that 100 PSI is the gold standard for air pressure, but there's research that says that that is not always the case and you may actually be able to ride faster on less air pressure. Lots of debate on that. You also want to make sure your bike is in an easy gear. Sometimes you have to go uphill as soon as you cross the mount line leaving T1 and if you're in the wrong gear it can be quite difficult. So always good to be in an easy or at least an appropriate gear. And if there's something that you need to do to your bike to calibrate the power, make sure you get that taken care of. That's a good point. That is on the list. Oh, I jumped right ahead. You can jump ahead all you want. I know. Contribute all you want. I did not do that at Ironman Louisville. Then I was in my light gear and you're supposed to pedal backward in the chain came off and got wedged and I didn't think I was going to get that chain unwedged to get it back on but I should have already had that calibrated prior to my swim and I just didn't think about it but on your bike I was using your bike you definitely don't want to do that calibration when it's in its lightest gear you're going to lose a chain yeah 
And all these things that we're talking about, it's so important for a triathlete to have a race plan. There's so many details and it's great to have a checklist so you get everything just right. Yeah, you don't even realize how much you rely on that checklist. I know I have a checklist and I update my plan every time I race, but recently you and I traveled to Tunnel Hill so that I could do a training run. I didn't make a checklist or use my checklist for the training run, and I didn't even pack my watch charger. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so continuing on with bike preparation, you need to figure out what you're going to do with your cycling shoes. You can either have them beside of your bike, or you can have them attached to your pedals. If you're going to attach them to your pedals, you want to try to rotate your pedals in such a way that the heels of the shoes are going to be dragging rather than uh, impeding forward rolling of the bike. And you can use rubber bands to attach the heel of the shoe to the rear skewer, but I've had occasions where the rubber band would not break, and so it was attached, and it was stretching back and forth on every pedal stroke. It didn't impact my performance, but it was a little bit awkward. Have you ever tried that? No, and honestly, I don't like putting my shoes on my bike because you have to run with your bike, and my feet are tender, so I like having my shoes on my feet. Okay. And then some people wear socks when they're cycling. I typically do not wear socks in a triathlon on the bike. I've never had any blister issues and it saves me a couple of seconds. Although when I get to the run, I am going to put on socks. Do you wear socks on your bike? It depends. On a full distance, yes, I wear socks and a lot of times I'll change the socks before the run but on short distances sprints I don't wear socks on the bike but I always wear socks on the run yeah and then your helmet there's a lot of choices on helmets are you going to wear your traditional helmet or are you investing in a aero helmet and then where will the helmet be will it be with the bike or will it be in a transition bag and you have to make sure that you put the helmet on before you exit transition or you could be disqualified. Safety first. You're likely going to need to put stickers on your bike and helmet representing your athlete number in the event. So that's something you can do the night before. I wouldn't try to do that the morning of unless that's the first opportunity you had. And decide if you're going to wear sunglasses or maybe your helmet has a visor attached to it. If you know how to repair your bike, which hopefully you do, then you'll want your repair kit with you on the bike. You'll want all your nutrition and hydration, whatever you've come up with, with your coach or through testing. Especially if you're doing a half or a full distance, you probably want to put on some sunscreen. So have some sunscreen available before you hop on the bike and go out for a really long ride. I thought of one other thing to keep in mind before the swim, and that is to get your body marking. So a couple things about T1. 
which is your transition from swim to bike. I much prefer participating in events where they have assigned me a place that I have to put my bike. I do not like showing up for a triathlon morning of and it's first come first served and everybody's trying to cram their bikes into the one or two racks that are in the ideal location. Yeah. Yeah. For the smaller events, sometimes there is a more advantageous place in transition. For the Ironman events, the transition area is so large and they make you run so far out of the water and then also with the bike. It's probably not a whole lot of advantage one way or the other. But yeah, I do prefer, like you're saying, for somebody to make that decision for me so that you have a adequate amount of space rather than everything being crammed in. Yeah, so if I do have to pick my own bike spot, and this is just how I do it, (laughs) I like to pick the spot that is closest to bike out as possible. Yeah, me too. Less pushing of the bike. Yeah. All right, are we ready to move on to preparing for the run? Preparing for T2? So you mentioned earlier that depending on the event you're in you either put all your transition one stuff in a bag designated transition one so when you're running to transition one you either have to find your own bag or sometimes there's volunteers there to help you get the bag so everything that you need for the bike is in that bag correct so you mentioned all those items you just want to check and double check that bag before you take it to transition yeah and some people may want to change clothes from the swim to the bike or change clothes from the bike to the run. And you could do that by putting your items in the transition bag. At a smaller event, there's probably not going to be a place to change. So wear something you're comfortable being in for the entire event. Yeah, and at a smaller event, likely you're not going to have a bag. You're going to have all of your transition stuff laid out nicely underneath of your bike so i don't know if you want to talk about the logistics of how you lay that stuff out under your bike because everybody's different but you just think about you're going to use all your bike stuff first so you want that the most accessible and then when you come back in now your bike stuff is out of the way and you want your run stuff accessible so just really think about how you're going to lay that out. Also think about the order that you're going to put things on. So are you going to put your sunglasses on before your helmet? Are you going to put your socks and shoes on after putting your helmet on? You know, whatever order that you're going to do things, position them in your transition area so that that's the most intuitive way for you to put those on in the heat of the moment when you are trying to be very quick to get onto your bike. Yeah, and the key also is lay that transition out just like it's going to be. If your event's going to have a T1 bag and a T2 bag, then practice your transitions that way. But if you're actually setting up T1 and T2 underneath of your bike in the same area, then that's the way you want to practice it. And you do need to practice your transitions. Yeah, and there are some events. I'm not sure I've raced in an event, but there are some events where T1 and T2 are actually in two separate locations. That's the way it was in Ironman Texas. Mm-hmm. 
it wasn't originally planned that way. And it was pretty impressive that Iron Man was able to create a separate T2 overnight because of the conditions. Pretty impressive. All right, let's talk about preparing your transitionary for the run. We already talked about having a watch, but on the watch, the data fields that I like to recommend is lap pace and have it set up to auto lap every half mile or every mile. And again, you can use this lap pace to gauge your current pace or current effort. Again, instantaneous pace is not very reliable. And then I also like to monitor average pace so I can have an idea what the pace is from the beginning of the run until the end because I'm typically trying to hit a target. And then, of course, you want your running shoes, potentially socks. If it's going to be a hot or sunny day, you may want a hat. I guess the same is true if it was a cold day, you may want a hat. But if you're going to be carrying your nutrition with you, your fuel belt or hydration vest or bottle, whatever your preference is, and then you typically have to put on your race number, and the best way to do that is with a race belt. Or if you're changing clothes, you may have it attached to whatever you're going to run in. And then again, especially if it's going to be a long run, you will want some sunscreen. Safety first. Do you have any big opinions on the fancy shoelaces that you just slide your shoes on? I haven't found a need for those, and that's because I use traditional shoestrings, and I don't have to untie them to get my foot in. Yeah, I've never used the fancy shoestrings either. My trail shoes have a fancy shoestring where I can just zip it. All right, so we've been through the swim setup, the bike setup, and the run setup. So now back to the race morning and getting ready to start the triathlon. So now you're getting ready for the swim. It's a good idea to do some kind of warm-up, whether that's arm swings to get your body loose. I like to go for a little jog to try to get everything loosened up. And maybe you can do a warm-up swim, which is is really good to get your body prepared for the water temperature. <laughs> you want to tell us a story about jumping into some water and being surprised? Oh, I think I've told the story before. Okay. But yes, it was not wetsuit legal, but I'm telling you, it was the polar plunge. It probably took me a quarter mile to catch my breath. You are good at holding your breath. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I was breathing, but I couldn't. I was like hyperventilating breathing. You're not funny. You're just not funny. All right. You also want to strategize where you want to start you know, based on your abilities and the race conditions. If you are someone who can only breathe to the right, then you then may you, want to stay. You need to hire us as coaches to get that fixed. No, go ahead. You may want to start on the right so that you're breathing away from other swimmers. You may also want to think about where the first turn buoy is if you feel like you are going to be one of the faster swimmers. And if you don't mind getting bumped and splashed, I mean, you can start anywhere you want, but it's uh, advantageous to start around some people who are similar to your swim capabilities 
So maybe you can draft off them, but strategize where you're going to start. All right, so we're jumping over the whole swim piece. That's right. It's all about transitions. This is about transitions. All right. So it's hard to discuss triathlon and only discuss transitions, but yes, go ahead. All right. We're finished swimming. You're finishing the swim. You come out of the water. You're so thankful to have made it out of the water. And you want to remove your swim cap. You want to remove your goggles. You want to pull your swim skin down or your wetsuit down while you're running, assuming you're trying to be as fast as possible. We have to make that assumption. Some people are just doing it for the fun. We're racing. We're racing. And you want to be conservative with the pace that you're running coming out of the water. You're going to have a lot of energy. You're going to be excited, but keep your heart rate under control. Once you get to your changing area or to your bike, whatever the case might be, take the swim skin off. Don't forget to take the swim skin off. Take the wetsuit all the way off. Some races will have volunteers to help you get your wetsuit off. If that is the case, that could potentially save you a few seconds. So you packed sunscreen in your transition area. So put that on. Put on your sunglasses. Put on your helmet. Put on your socks if necessary. Get your shoes if they're not already on your pedals. And then you're ready to push the bike past the mount line. Do not mount the bike before the mount line or you'll either get a penalty or be disqualified. It's all about safety. And then you're ready to hop on the bike and go and start your watch so you can start capturing that precious data and start receiving the alerts to help you monitor your effort according to your plan. And if necessary, you can calibrate your power meter again, but make sure you're in an appropriate gear and be careful to avoid other bikes as you make your way away from transition. There's typically, it's at least at the larger events, there's typically restroom facilities in transition. So you may decide you want to go to the restroom before you have a long bike ride coming up. And we actually have a, a friend who did Ironman Louisville, and we weren't participating this particular year but we were tracking him online and he had the longest time in transition i was beginning to think that he had dropped out after the swim well i asked him the next time i saw him and he said he stopped to have a snack in transition because he wasn't real comfortable eating on the bike so you can spend a lot of time in transition if you want or minimize that but you need to be aware of the, the cutoffs for the swim and the bike and the run portions of the event. Anything else on bike transition, T1? Uh, the only thing I can think of, and I have never actually done this, but I have read of athletes who have done this. But if it's cool, you know, you get all the water and you're wet. And most people who are racing don't change clothes. They have a tri suit that they're wearing all day. So you get out of the water, and you're wet, your clothes are wet, and it's still a really chilly morning, but you're expecting it to warm up. If you have a couple of plastic grocery sacks that you can just kind of lay flat underneath of your tri-suit, between your tri-suit and your skin, that provides a nice little wind resistance. And then when you, as the day gets warmer or your suit dries, you can take those out and just if you toss them, be sure you toss them in a legal 
aid station zone so you don't get a penalty or DQ'd for littering, but it's a cheap hack that, especially if you're colder natured. Yeah. Yeah. You could also wear arm sleeves, but you would have to put those on in T1 because you can't have anything on your arms if it's not wetsuit legal. If it's wetsuit legal, your arms are covered up unless you have a sleeveless. In which case, I'm assuming you still can't wear the arm sleeves. But anyway. Well, if the arm sleeves are underneath your wetsuit. But but if you have a sleeveless wetsuit, can you wear arm sleeves? Oh, I don't think so. Yeah. But as the day warms up, you could try to slide those off if you're comfortable riding no-handed. Or you could stop at an aid station or just on the side of the road. Or you can try to do it one-handed. It's going to be a little more expensive to toss arm sleeves and grocery bags. But well, I was going to suggest tucking it into your tricycle. Well, I guess you could do that too. Anyway, you definitely want to understand the weather forecast and dress appropriately. Yeah, it's not uncommon for triathletes to have hyperthermia even when it's not below. It's not like you're at the top of Mount Everest, but you're wet and you're generating wind. Burning a lot of energy and your body can lose heat quickly if you're not careful. Safety first. I think we've said that before. All right. So one other thing to think about related to T1 is how are you going to get on your bike? Are you going to do a running flying mount? No, you are not. It's really not going to save you that much time and it is quite the risk that you're going to fall over or crash into another athlete. So take a moment, step over, you're in the proper gear, start your pedaling, and have a pleasant ride. So you've done your bike ride. It's time for T2. You're coming into T2. Coming in hot. You have to stop before the dismount line. You have to dismount before the dismount line. Yes, stop and dismount before the dismount line. And you need to decide in advance, are you going to take your feet out of your shoes before you get to T2 so that you can more easily walk and run in transition, or are you going to unclip? So come up with a plan. I can tell you what I do, which might surprise you being my tender-footed self, is I probably should unclip and go with my shoes but for whatever reason that last quarter mile i like to put it in a low gear and raise my cadence a little bit just kind of shake out my legs and i slide my feet out of my shoes right before that process i don't know why yeah that's what i do too so but sometimes i have really regretted not having my shoes on when i'm running to switch into my running phase So when you get off the bike, you may have to push the bike or hand it to a volunteer. But just like when you're leaving T1, you want to try to have your pedals aligned so that if your shoes are clipped in, that they're not impeding your forward rolling motion. If you are handing off your bike, be sure you grab whatever you need for the run if you have it with you on the bike such as your watch, if you're sharing that for the bike and the run. And then once you get to your transition area, or even before, if you're comfortable taking your helmet off and running with it, it's probably more 
speedy to just wear your helmet until you get to your transition area and stop. Again, you might want to apply some sunscreen and then put on your socks and shoes. And as you were saying before, it's a good idea to have your shoes laced in such a way that they're going to fit your feet snugly enough or have some way to cinch them up so that you don't feel like you need to stop later on to adjust your shoestrings. And you sure don't want your shoestrings coming untied. And then you want to make sure your watch is ready for the run, especially if you had used it on the bike and you have to grab your race belt, your hydration and nutrition. And again, start out conservatively and build into your goal pace. You may be a little bit tired muscularly from the bike ride, so don't be alarmed if you start off a little gingerly. But as you are training and you practice your transitions, you should be doing some running after your rides, often called brick runs or transition runs. That'll help prepare your legs for that drastic change from pedaling to running. Yeah, and I find my biggest thing coming off the bike is I'm running faster than I need to. I've had that cadence going for so long that my legs are just taking me a little bit faster than what I need to be going. So if it's a long-distance triathlon, my rule is take that first mile conservatively. I agree. So I guess to summarize everything there is to know about transition, you want to understand the rules for your event, know the course, monitor the weather, make a plan, and test your plan, and then execute your plan. And it would be a miracle if everything went according to plan, but just go with the flow, adjust as necessary, and just have a good time. So speaking of transition, one day we are all going to transition from life on this earth to eternal life. And it's way more important to be properly prepared for that transition. So even if you're not one of our athletes, if you're not certain that you're transitioning to heaven after this life on earth, I would encourage you to reach out to us. We'd love to talk with you. Amen to that. What's your Bible verse for the day? Here's a scripture from Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 and 28. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. The ultimate transition. At RYR Endurance Team, we specialize in customized coaching. What is customized coaching? It's more than a training plan. It's a relationship. It's a partnership. So what are your goals? What are you training for? Contact us at ryrcoach at gmail.com or visit us on our website, ryrenduranceteam.com. Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening.